Welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your owner and host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we'll be discussing the blockbuster trade in the NBA involving Damian Lillard. We will have our NFL Week 3 recap. We will have our Thursday Night Football recap, along with our talk about NFL Week 4. We will have our continuing successful NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. And we will always have, as always, Jack's Hot Take to close out the show. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Just In Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on the post notifications for the Just In Time Sports social media at JTime Sports is the handle you will find us. And for all your breaking news, coverage, updates, etc., along with podcast news. Now, if you're new here, you don't know what I'm about to say, but you will learn that you're always safe to sit back and get ready to learn something. Sports Podcast Season 4, Episode 27. It's about Dame time we get this started. Okay, alright, I admit that was bad. I admit that was rough. But we're going to keep it because we're going to roll because I like being 100% genuine with you guys. This is your owner and host of the Justin Time Sports Podcast Network, Justin Time Sports Inc., Justin Time Sports Social Media. Wherever you want to have Justin Time Sports, we're there. You want to sing your or you want to sing your podcast, we're there. You want to sing your social media, we're there. For all your breaking news updates, and of course, follow the social media handle at JTime Sports on all your favorite social medias, whether that be X, formerly known as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, wherever you enjoy, oh, threads, wherever you enjoy your social media, the Justin Time Sports Network has reached it. Then, of course, don't forget to, uh, if you're listening to us on audio, don't forget to like, uh, subscribe, and share. Uh, this podcast, wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, uh, or wherever you are listening, to make sure you leave a review and a rating as well. So that way I know that you guys are interested, what you like to hear, um, and drop some topic suggestions anytime you want to add me with topic suggestions of what you guys want to hear, because I can talk about stuff I want to talk about, but this is a podcast built for you guys to get you got information and opinion, unbiased of information and opinion on whatever you want to hear. Uh, okay. Mostly unbiased. I'm biased when it comes to the Pelicans. I'm biased when it comes to the Patriots. I'm, I, I barely talk Yankees because it'll, it'll just be from a fan's perspective. Um, but everybody else, <laughs> unbiased opinion regarding the sports world and what is going down in the latest sports world. But let's get on to the show. It's the middle of the NFL season. I know it's week four. I know week four started last night. I get it. I totally understand that we four started last night in a great game, uh, in a divisional game that we'll talk about later. Um, but when the NBA drops a bomb like this in their offseason, you have to start with it as Dame time has officially ended in Portland. However, it has a new home. He will be tapping his watch in green and white. For the Milwaukee Bucks, standing next to Giannis Antetokounmpo as Damian Lillard in a three-team deal has been traded to the Milwaukee Bucks, um, not the Miami Heat. So this has a lot of different facets and a lot of different areas it can discuss. First, I'll give you guys all the details that's fully shared on all Justin Time Sports social medias. Damian Lillard uh, is the Milwaukee Bucks received Damian Lillard in this trade. Uh, Portland re- Portland receives a pretty good haul: Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Tumani Camera, a uh, Camera, a 2029 unprotected first round pick, and a swap rights with the Bucks in 2028 and 2030. And the uh, Phoenix Suns, who helped facilitate this trade, obviously uh, received Yusef Nurkic, Yusef Nurkic from Portland, Grayson Allen, uh, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson is what this Phoenix Suns um, return. So there's a lot of different angles you can discuss this trade. So I, I will start off with the angle if you're the Bucks. If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, this was a move to keep Giannis in a Milwaukee uniform. 
Yes, short term, I think you're a better basketball team. Now, you're going to miss Drew Holiday's defensive prowess. You're going to miss um, those assets later down the line. Grayson Allen's a good 3 and D player. You're going to miss, maybe potentially miss that 2029 upper the first. That's, what, five years out or six years out? I mean, that's after Dame's contract is over. That's after Giannis's next contract will be over. Um, so, th- so that could be interesting in terms of if that unprotected first-round pick ends up being a top-three pick with a generational talent. You know, it's one of those butterfly effect moments. You keep it. It ends up being in the 20s or the 30s because you're winning titles, uh, and it's useless. You trade it. It's a top-three pick, and the next Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, uh, Luca, Trey Young is that pick. You know, so next Giannis is that pick. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those situations where that pick – we'll look at in six years and go, man, that was a hell of a pick to give up for this, especially because they didn't win a title, especially because, you know, who it became. It ended up being worth way worse than it was. Or we could look at it and say, man, they won three titles in five years. Um, They're a dynasty, and that pick is in the 30s. Who gives, you know, who cares? Or that pick's in the late 20s. It's only 30 teams. That pick's in the late 20s. Who cares? Um, And so... That's one of the things we can discuss. Again, the swap rights are useless unless, for some reason, Portland's better than Milwaukee. And then that's why it becomes important. Otherwise, they're useless. Um, so let's stick to what we know. So if you're Mo- if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you're you're thinking title or bust. This move was made for two folds. It was made for the short term because now you, this season and next season, you have one of the best, if not the best, tag team in the NBA. Uh, for the first time in Dame's life, he's playing with somebody demonstrably better than him. And for the first time in Giannis' life, he's playing with a bona fide type of top 15 player. Um, Damian Lillard is a top 75 player all time. He's a future Hall of Famer. Um, he's Dame time. He's big He's big time. He's box office. Um, we've seen him in multitude of situations. We've seen him wave off Paul George. We've seen him uh, go toe-to-toe with the Golden State Warriors. Um, we've seen him McCullum at his side. We've seen him in a lot of different capacities. We've never seen him with his title contention. At no point in Portland were they title contenders at all. And if anybody's trying to trick themselves in Portland, and, I, and hey, I, I love Portland as a fan base. Uh, Damon Lillard wrote an eight-page um, goodbye note, or rather see you later note, thank you note uh, to Portland, the organization, the fans especially. Um, but if anybody in the greater Northwest area is trying to trick themselves into thinking Portland was ever a title contender uh, in the West is – it's, it's, just, it's just that it's tricking themselves it's deceiving themselves it's allowing themselves to have mental anguish and pain that they don't deserve uh, they'd be like me as a Pelicans fan saying man remember that year that Steph hit the shot or if only they didn't get hurt now Rondo's convinced they win the title he's on the team he would know better than I but we're DeMarcus Cousins year but um, you know it would be foolish for me as a fan to say man the Pelicans should have won the title or the Pelicans won the title contention they weren't. Um, and the same thing with Portland. Like, at no point in Portland's history, they made it to the Western Conference Finals, and I still wouldn't have deemed them a, a, a title contender. So Dame, for the first time in his career, goes into a season the favorite to win the title because he's rolling with, to me, the best player on the planet, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, I like him and Jokic, a top two player on the planet, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. If you're Portland... You have, uh, I go go to Phoenix first, and I go to Portland. If you're Phoenix, you have now a, you got rid of DeAndre Ayton. Granted, granted, you did pick up Yusef Nurkic's bad contract, but you got rid of DeAndre Ayton, you got that out of the building. You add wing depth and Grayson Allen, Nassir Little, and Keon Johnson. Now, none of these guys are going to win you an NBA title, but KD needs a night off, Book needs a night off, um, Bill needs a night off. Any one of the last three I named could fill into their roles or fill into their spots. Not necessarily fill their roles, but you would be comfortable enough to say we're not going to get destroyed because of blah. Um, because the starters, I expect them Phoenix to play heavy minutes. Um, so you can kind of say we're not getting destroyed because of blah. And so that was huge for Phoenix because they pretty much, I mean, to me, I was staying at them running seven people for most of the year. I mean, playing ten, but three of the people playing three, four minutes a game, primarily a seven-man rotation for most of the year. Now, Grayson Allen's a rotational piece. Nasir Little, when he's healthy, can play in that rotation. Keon Johnson, I've seen him play in rotations. So, 
now you have 10 to 11 people that they can comfortably roll in. Now, with a roster, with a front four that big, do you ever um, decide to go with the bench guys for too long? Probably not. But it does give credence to, in a playoff game, playoff series, you need um, more than just your seven guys. You know, somebody gets in foul trouble, et cetera. You need some more uh, players ready to go, capable guys ready to go, people who just aren't going to um, get absolutely destroyed out there, but they are going to work um, every single day in order to become better. So if you were in Phoenix's case, those role players were going to be huge because they allowed you to play at a different pace, especially in the playoffs. Now, you know, I'm not saying that with a team of Kevin Durant, Bradley Bill, Yusuf Nurkic, Devin Booker, that Grayson Allen is going to decide who wins, or, who wins or loses the NBA Finals. But it does give you the ability to play a little bit differently. It does give you to play more physically. Maybe one of those games where Kevin Durant has two fouls with two minutes left in the first quarter. You're not necessarily thinking, well, he can survive on defense for two minutes with keeping the game. You'll just pull him, put Grayson Allen in, lose the offense effectively. But you got a great catch-and-shoot guy, and you get a defender. Flipping it over to the side of Portland, you have an asset now. So DeAndre Aiden is going to be a guy you keep around for, you know, Three years, probably three to four years. He matched your team timeline. He's not in his prime yet or entering his prime. Uh, the guy who's there has not arrived yet. So, Aiden has the ability here to get a fresh restart. They're potentially moving Jeremy Grant. He can have an opportunity to be really, really good for a very long time in Portland. But Portland has probably the most interesting asset in the NBA. That's Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday doesn't match up. Timeline-wise, with the Portland Trailblazers. He's in his mid-30s. He's trying to win now. Portland's going to go for a rebuild. Um, and when you got a two-way guard on a contract next year, he's going to have to get extended. That won't be something insane. Um, he's a very two-way guard. Probably one of, if not the best, two-way guards in the NBA. Um, and he has the ability to clamp down your number one guard along with score the ball. As we saw last year when Middleton went down, Drew decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to pick my offense up and just immediately started to uh, score the ball a lot more. So that's a huge sign, if you are Portland, that you can move him. Uh, people are going to get desperate for players, right? And usually a trade like this doesn't happen so close to training camp because usually teams would immediately pivot during training camp and try and get themselves another guy. But me personally, I don't think he ever reports to Portland. It makes no sense. He's in his mid-30s. Everyone else on Portland that matters is 25, 26 or younger. Uh, he's looking for a win-out situation. Portland's at least two to three years off. Um, and there's going to be so many suitors lining up to try and come get him. Boston should be one of the people on that lines. Golden State should be a person on that lines. New Orleans, Philly, um, just to name a few of the teams that I think make the most sense for uh, Drew Holiday to get redirected. Uh, out of Portland into a contenders uniform, somewhere where he can make a big difference right now on the winning and not just the fact that he's running around the court, but he does make an impact, like I said, on the winning. Um, so I think that, um, again, New Orleans, um, Golden State for a redirection of Chris Paul, uh, Boston to try and combat what just happened in Milwaukee. Um, those are the three teams to me that jump out, uh, again, very quickly. Now, could a trade happen? Drew Holiday ends up, you know, somewhere we don't know. Uh, it's very possible Miami missed out on Dame. They could they land Drew Holiday as well, um, or Drew Holiday instead. Um, so very interesting, um, kind of twenty four hours, I guess, um, in the NBA. What was happening? And then the Phoenix Suns continue to skirt around the second tax apron. By this time, it's like taking on a pretty free agency. They took on a really, really bad contract and Yusuf Nurkic. So they continue to dance around the second apron for agency. And they also continue to move your way um, into the title picture. Now, Damian Giannis is maybe the best one-two punch since Shaq and Kobe in terms of a big and a little. Uh, but we are dead. Well, LeBron and AD, well, that book kind of big. Only a big and little, Shaq and Kobe. So we're definitely going to... Be playing a lot of basketball below the rim. 
Um, and I said that NBA was kind of shifting towards anyway with the uh, advent and the prevalence of three-point shooting. But this is going to be a game uh, that you play below the rim almost at all times. But up next, we are going to shift to the NFL. I'll talk about what's going down with the Shield. jumping into the NFL, which is what the sport of our main season right now. But now we're going to talk about week three. Then, of course, we'll talk about week four. Then we'll have Jack's pack, our increasingly, well, our consistently, rather, successful NFL betting segment. Uh, NFL week three uh, had some storylines in it all over the place. Um, first, we're going to start off with the Cowboys being upset by the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals have looked promising all year. Now, of course, they're without Kyler Murray right now. So he's recovering from ACL surgery. But they were expected to be in the Caleb Williams uh, sweepstakes, meaning like tanking out and looking to get Caleb Williams and moving on for Kyler Murray. And, and I kind of spoke to a lot of people, out and they traded Isaiah Simmons. They gave him to the Giants for basically nothing, although he's done nothing for the Giants. So, potato, potato. Um, but I spoke to several people about the Arizona Cardinals, um, and I kept reverberating back to financially, it makes no sense to tank. People are looking kind of weird because you're going to give Caleb Williams a dead cap hit of $80 million if you move Kyler Murray after next season. Or after this season, he, he's $80 million. You can't cut him. It's, you know, $200 million or $150 million, something like that. But if you trade him, you eat his guaranteed contract hit. So I'm like, it doesn't behoove you to tank with Kyler Murray on the roster because then two of your best assets are going to be quarterbacks. One would be Caleb Williams, a generational prospect you tank to get, and the other being Kyler Murray, who would still have a B.O. excess of $150 million in the contract. So it doesn't financially behoove you to tank. It actually does better if you play kind of decent Give Kyler a shot to come back on a team that's still trying. Give him a couple of warm-up games to get ready for next season. Draft him a Marvin Harrison Jr. And then draft him um, a great left tackle. Whoever the best left tackle is in college, dra- you know, draft the best tackle in college and build the offense. Because they look pretty solid with Josh Dobbs. Um, week one didn't go so well for them. But they had the lead in week two. Um, a good lead in week two, blew it. And so week three, they came out, and I'm thinking they're going to do the same thing. They took a lead on Dallas, and then Dallas is going to realize, hey, or Arizona's going to realize we should be tanking, not for Caleb Williams, but for Marvin Harrison Jr., and then lose the game. But, no, they kept their foot down on Dallas. Um, speaking with uh, a friend of mine, and he was saying it's hard to take in the NFL because in the NBA, tanking is so accepted that people who are a part of tank jobs, like players, even coaches will get another job. If that staff gets fired or that player gets, you know, the released or whatever, they'll get another job because tanking is so widely accepted. In the NFL, tanking is discouraged heavily and kind of seen as quitting, but the game is so violent, you can't have speed football, you'll get hurt. Um, And also, those guys live on non-guaranteed contracts. So, that sixth-round rookie that's starting now because the team traded out the two veterans for draft picks, he's putting on a show or trying to because he's trying to either make that team keep him that he's on or he's trying to effectively force the hand of another GM to pick him up. And so it's hard to tank in the NFL. Coaches, too. You know, you could be a position coach forever, never even a coordinator interview. And, you know, Coaching your DBs incorrectly just so they play bad, just so you go points, just so you get the number one pick doesn't help you. Because if that team decides to let you go, 
and everybody else see, well, your DBs on film did everything wrong. Why would we hire you? You know, it, it's it's a spot where in the NFL you can't tank. It's just it's not good for you as a business to tank. Um, and so they ultimately defeated the Cowboys. Now the Cowboys may have been dealing with an emotional letdown because they had just lost Trayvon Diggs 40 hours before um, for the season to a torn ACL. So maybe they were scrambling defensively. You can kind of tell they had planned on running man coverage in that game because Arizona's defense aren't that isn't that explosive. Arizona's receivers rather rather aren't that explosive. So you can definitely tell that the plan was to run a lot of man coverage which left the cornerback opposite Stephon Gilmore and a lot of man coverage. And it just put the Cowboys into a bad spot. Um, it felt like Arizona, every time they needed to get something, got it. Um, offensively, it just was a bad spot to me for Dallas to be in. Um, and the Cardinals ultimately take the game. Now, the Cardinals are in an interesting spot because they have their own pick and they have Chicago's pick. Chicago, not Chicago, they have Houston's pick. Um... And Houston actually looks pretty solid right about now. Um, CJ Stroud looks damn good. Um, as he's playing a quarterback position. He's one of three players ever to have 900 yards and seven touchdowns, something like that in their first three starts. I mean, he's looking, or nine touchdowns, maybe whatever. It's maybe seven touchdowns. He's looking damn good right now. Um, as far as he's my early candidate for rookie of the year, I think I picked him going into the season. I'm going to stick with that. Um, he is looking really, really good right now for Houston. D'Amico Ryans and that Houston Texans organization seems to have their next franchise quarterback. But what it does is it makes that Cardinals pick a little less, that Cardinals trade for that pick a little less valuable. Because instead of potentially being two top fives, it may end up being a five and a nine. It may end up being a four and a ten. You know, so it can make that pick just a little bit less valuable. Although if you really want a certain player, you can package the two picks and go get whatever pick you want. All right, so now that we've gotten through that, let's just discuss the NFL. The NFL gives you treats every week. They give you joys every week. They give you spectacular games, see Saints, Packers, especially that ending, every week. Um, see Lions, Chiefs week one, every week. They give you an impact game. They give you a close game. They give you a frustrating game. See Colts, Ravens in overtime. Uh, they give you all these different games every week. But also the NFL showcases every week why it's the not for long league. All right? Because on top of giving you legitimate good, they give you awful. I mean, absolutely awful right they give you awful moments and some of these moments and some of these players we're going to discuss are awful the Chicago Bears is an unmitigated disaster to me the Chicago Bears are doing the most obvious tank job in the NFL in a long time. The building effectively imploded sometime last week. The defensive coordinator resigned. Justin Fields openly said coaching is the reason he's not playing well. That was a rumored, although later proven false, FBI raid on the former defensive coordinator's house. I mean, it's just... What's going on on Hallis Lane? Like, and the part that I struggle with the Bears is that I can see the talent. I can see Justin Fields in a vacuum of the talent. I can see DJ Moore in a vacuum of the talent. Hell, I can see Lazy Clay Chase Claypool in a vacuum as a talent. The problem is that A, they're not in a vacuum, and B, whenever they get into the real world, it just it comes apart. Um... And so that's something that the Bears just have to figure out. Like, what is the balance between being a really, really good football team and a not-so-great football team? And they've got to figure out the balance because right now they are struggling here. Um, if I'm the Bears, I, I take another couple of weeks of really going for it, and then I start planning for the future. I trade away some talent. for the. I trade DJ Moore to the Patriots right now for a second-round pick. I trade Clay, Chase Claypool away. Um... Probably also for a third or fourth round pick. Um, 
I'm trying to think who needs a receiver. Um, Chargers just lost the receiver. Like, I'd call them and be like, Chase Claypool full force. You know, like, I just, I would start building for the future. If you're just looking at 0-4, 0-5, if I'm Chicago, I start building for the future. And I tell Justin Fields, hey, I hope you didn't buy your home. Uh, because we're going to get the number one pick. We're going to go Caleb Williams. So I hope you didn't buy your home. Um, and be looking to move on because you cannot continue to torture that amazing fan base in Chicago um, with that nonsense that's been in the Chicago. Cincinnati Bengals, really quickly. Um, Cincinnati Bengals won their game, and I, it is a WTF moment. Joe Burrow entered that game against the Los Angeles Rams. Again, the Bengals, again, did squeak out and win. Joe Burrow entered that game with a damaged calf. The entire world knew the calf was damaged, especially his coaching staff. And Joe Joseph by Burrow, I'm going to say Joe Biden, Joseph Burrow dropped back 54 times, throwing 49 passes in a game against Aaron Donald and that pass rush and that defense 54 times. The crazy part is Joe Mixon was actually getting pretty good yards per carry that game. So it wasn't like rushing wasn't working. They just didn't want to. 54 times. That is job in that is workplace endangerment if i've ever heard it i'm already on a calf that you think could be potentially torn and you want to drop back 54 times that it every time he dropped back i would get nervous every time a, a, a rams jersey got too close i would get nervous the, the Bengals in those amazing uniforms with the white helmet, with the white, oh, that's nice. The white base with the black stripe, that's nice. But every single time, I would just get nervous. Every single time he dropped back, I would just get nervous. Like, this can't end well. This can't possibly go right. And he would get up. It may be a little slow this time, but he would get up. And it's just like, absolutely hell. Um, what Cincinnati put Joe Burrow through? Uh, the Saints absolutely collapsed in that game against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Derek Carr went down with proven to be an AC joint injury. James Winston came in up 17-0 mid third quarter and lost the game in regulation. You know, and, and did his darnest and not be great. Um, as you guys know, if you listen to me, uh, I am a high school football coach. We have a coach on staff, um, who says that we have certain players who are determined to not be great. Jameis Winston played that game like they told him don't blow that game, and instead they should have told him don't be great because that's pretty much what happened. He struggled the whole way through. Um, felt like to me he was playing anti-Jameis Winston football, so instead of no risk and no biscuit, pretty much what he was living. Um, Bruce Arians kind of used no risk and no biscuit as an excuse or as a phrase to continue to put the ball in harm's way. Jameis literally lived no risky, no biscuit for a night. Um, and to me, it cost the New Orleans Saints the football game. Um, fans were outraged. Um, you know, many people were calling for Taysom and et cetera. But ultimately, that did not happen. Um, and Jameis and Jordan Love ultimately led the comeback to win the game. All right, Jets. And this is like, this is, this, this is my last point about week three. The Jets, what you are doing right now, GM Joe Douglas, head coach Robert Sala, what you are doing right now is workplace intellectual athletic malfeasance is what's happening in New York. You are allowing a really, really good roster, 52 really, really good players, to go to hell in a handbasket for one in Zach Wilson. That is a disaster. It's despicable. It's downright deplorable. It's a fireable offense. It is a life. It is a blackballing offense for y'all to sit there at one New York place. I think is the address, and to watch Zach Wilson practice, to watch Zach Wilson play, to hear Zach Wilson talk, and in, and instead of apologizing to your team and getting in a quarterback like a Carson Wentz prior to an injury like a Jameis Winston, instead of getting some of those guys in place so that they may begin to help you turn this ship around, you are going to continue to create and continue to allow that nonsense that 
ridiculousness, that thing that makes me turn off Jets games, that thing that made Joe Namath rip him apart in the media, you're going to allow Zach Wilson to continue to ruin his organization this season. Because now, even if you bring in a quarterback, it's going to take him two weeks, which means Zach Wilson is going to start another two weeks, and he's going to continue to wreck your franchise. And another two weeks started for Zach Wilson, you might as well get prepared for 2024. He is a disaster. They need to release him expeditiously, and he is going to continue to bring down that organization until he is finally removed. But up next, we're going to shift into week four, including a recap of last night's Thursday night action. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to discuss NFL Week 4, the upcoming week. I know you guys try to give you guys this show on Wednesday morning, so you're getting it Friday afternoon. My apologies, had some scheduling conflicts, but I wanted to make sure you guys got this information out um, and got to hear it prior to the weekend being kicked off. But last night, we had a very interesting or potentially interesting, rather, Thursday night football game uh, between the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, To me, it showcased the class the Lions are in. They separated themselves from the North. Uh, Green Bay should have lost last week to the New Orleans Saints, and we just spoke about that, or you guys just heard about that. Um, Derek Carr goes down with what proves to be an AC joint injury. Jameis comes in, does a whole lot of nothing, uh, and the Packers are able to storm back from 17-0 to a victory. And so... You go into this week, I think a lot of that emotional high might have still been there from last week with the Packers. And so when they came out flat, they kind of just took all the spark in the air out of the room. Um, and the Lions show, again, why they're, they've they separated themselves from the NFC North. Um, and I definitely expect them to win their first, in a, their first NFC North division ever and their, first in a, and their first division since it was the NFC Central in the late 90s. Um, and so they just found out separate themselves um, but towards the end of that game, man, some bad coaching came out, right? There was no reason uh, to make a few of the decisions that they made from a coaching staff. From a player's perspective standpoint, Quay, Quay Walker jumping over the long snapper in an attempt to block the field goal. First of all, it's illegal to jump over a center from that far. It's illegal to jump over anybody from that far. It's... I just, I don't understand what Quay Walker was doing there. There was no benefit to it at all. He didn't block the kick. And um, I looked at my wife and I said, that is an awful mistake. Because now, worst comes to worst. Seriously, for the Lions, he takes two and a half more minutes off the clock and kicks a field goal. So now you're in the exact same situation, but you're down two, two and a half more minutes uh, before you are able to uh, even begin to try and recover from it. Um... It was just a great ball game in general. I said, Jordan Love showed me a little fight uh, at the end. But Jared Goff and his high-powered offense, along with that defense, a little bit too much. They forced Jordan Love into interceptions. Jared Goff was looking like a legitimately uh, like an NFL quarterback, like a starter in this league. Um, and they were just too much for the new uh, Green Bay Packers. But now we're going to jump into some games. Uh, we pick a few of them. So if we pick them, we are not going to jump in Jack's pack. Um, but we are going to discuss the games that we're going to discuss all the games that I'm, I want to discuss. We're just not going to pick the ones that are in Jack's pack. First game up, Ravens at Brown or even versus the Browns. Now, this game feels like a Browns victory. Um, and it's not in Jack's pack, so I'm going to say Browns victory. The reason being is the Ravens look like an, an infirmary war from World War II. They have more names on the injury reserve than probably the rest of the league put together. Uh, the Ravens, or the injury report rather, the Ravens are beat up. They play a physical style even with Tom Munkin. Um, I always said Lamar Jackson beefed up last year. I hope he kept that beef on um, because... They are going to take a beating uh, just with this new system. Guys stepping around the whole time. So, with that being said, 
Um, I believe the Browns is going to be too much for him. They had an edge rush with Miles Garrett, pass shows with Miles Garrett, um, Grant Dale put in the back. Uh, I, I mean, I definitely think that um, I definitely think that the Ravens are going to struggle against the Browns' defense. Uh, no real separators still in Baltimore. I think the Browns are going to take that game fairly comfortably. I say by about nine points, um, 24 to 16. So it was eight points, 24-16 uh, Browns. Next up, we got the Bengals and the Titans, which the next four games are all in Jack's pack. So we won't uh, pick them, but we will uh, talk about them. So the Bengals and Titans have a very interesting matchup. The Bengals, probably the thing you can have them in is their secondary. The Titans' strength at this moment in time is probably their receivers uh, and their O-line in terms of pass protection. So it's going to be a very interesting combination. Now, Trey Hendrickson is going to decide a lot for the Cincinnati Bengals because he's able to just flat out wreck a game uh, with the way he's able to rush the passer. Um, and then, of course, Joe Burrow's health. He escaped against Jeffrey Simmons, throwing 50, he escaped against Aaron Donald, rather, throwing 54 passes. And I kind of feel like at a certain point, they have to realize what is best for Joe Burrow is to give the ball 30, 35 times to Joe Mixon and other running backs. Um, so now you got Jeffrey Simmons across from you in, in Tennessee. Much better defensive coordinator, defensive coach with Mike Vrabel involved. Um, and so I just think that repeatedly dropping back is going to be a recipe for a disaster. Um, and then flip side to the Tennessee Titans, you've got to find a way to mitigate the negative effects of Ryan Tannehill, along with keeping guys like Derrick Henry fully, fully engaged um, in Tennessee Spears as well. So, again, to give him a balanced 35, 30-40 to 40 run game, because if you allow Trey Henderson to just continue to tee off on people, he's going to make a lot of history and a lot of money. Um, so that is my synopsis on being on uh, uh, Bengals Titans. Oh, Ezekiel Elliott returns to Dallas for the first time as a New England Patriot, as a visitor. Um, it's not just the fact that he's playing his old team. He's playing his old team in his old building. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, like I said, returns to Dallas uh, as a visitor. He returns as a New England Patriot. And to be honest, he's starting to look like running back one uh, in New England. Him and Ramondre, to me, are 1A and 1B now. There's no real 1-2 anymore. Um, Zeke may end up getting a contract extension from the Patriots. He's playing really, really well. It wouldn't shock me if he got a contract extension. He's like, he's come in the building, put his head down, went to work, uh, lost a few pounds, cut off his hair. Um, he looks to be ready to roll um, for a few years in New England. And so we're interested to see what happens there. But Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, he played seven years in Dallas, uh, started this new wave, him and Dak. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see how his emotions are entering that building. Um, if there's a tribute video, if, you know, all the 21 Zeke jerseys, I'm sure that'll be in the crowd, uh, kind of showing him some love and appreciation for giving them a great seven years. And the battle of the bottom, the dumpster bowl, the toilet bowl, the, oh, this is on TV. Ah, game is Bears and Broncos. Now, the Broncos just lost a football game, 70-20. to 20. The Bears just lost a football game by about 30, 35 points themselves. One has a quarterback, people think a wash, and it's too old. The other has a quarterback, people think never had it. Both of them have solid defensive players. Both of them are pretty decent skill players. Both quarterbacks, oddly, kind of remind you of each other when they're both playing like this. Um... And both have, well, Sean Payton cast a check that currently his team's not, really wrote a check his team's currently not catching. The Chicago Bears uh, is kind of wading through the water of Justin Fields' situation because I believe that if he doesn't turn around and turn around quickly and dramatically, he's going to be an ex-Chicago Bear sooner rather than later because the new GM is going to want his own guy. Um, and so it is the battle of the toilet bowl. It's not great at all. But they have the ability, in this case, uh, to try and both teams have a chance to bounce back. If you're the Bears, you have a chance to launch and kind of get some respectability into a 5-6 win season. If you're the Broncos, you still have playoff aspirations. Now, I get it. You're, you're well, they're 0-3. Um, you, you have an opportunity here to launch from this point on. Uh, again, you're in the same division as the Chargers and the Chiefs. That's not fun, but you have the ability here to launch and try and salvage some of this season 
and do your absolute best to save it. Um, you know, you got Russell Wilson, give him some confidence, give that defense some confidence, or find out if you got to make some staff personnel changes immediately. I would have fired the DC after giving him 70, but he's trying to figure out if you got to do some staff or personnel changes. But up next, we're going to jump into our continuing success of our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Welcome back into the show, and now we're jumping into our continuously successful NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We are working on our third consecutive winning week in a row, three and two in all three weeks, which brings our total to nine and six, including undefeated, and as you heard me, undefeated, three and oh on our lock bets. You don't believe me? Check, 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 check my last episodes. Their timestamp. Go right to Jack's Pack and check my last episodes. We are three and zero right now on our lock bets. Nine and six total. It gives us a sixty percent win rate. I say it every week, and I'm going to continue saying it. To be a professional gambler, you want your success rate to be around fifty-four to fifty-six percent. We are currently hitting sixty percent right now on our point spread selections, and I'm trying to keep the momentum rolling. Uh, we have one lock this week as always. The lock, uh, like I said last week, is like a two-unit bet. So a unit bet is whatever you're comfortable betting. So if you bet $10 on a game, one unit for you would be $10. A two-unit bet would be $20. Um, if you're a $100 gambler, then a one-unit bet for you is $100. A two-unit bet would be $200. So our locks, I treat them as two-unit bets. Um, and the rest of the bets are one unit, standard one-unit bets. Uh, but let's get right into it. So we have our first game, which is our lock, Saints minus three and a half over the Bucks. Um, it's a home game for New Orleans, so that's automatically three points. I think they're just a little bit better team. Uh, Mike Evans usually plays horrible against Marshawn Lattimore. He has been ever since the big incident that first started their rivalry. Uh, the pass rush is going to cave in the Tampa Bay uh, offensive line. The pass rush of New Orleans, they play physical. Tom Brady struggled to beat him. I think Brady only beat him one time in his time in Tampa, and in that one time, it was in the playoffs. Now, it was a time that mattered. It was a time to ultimately kick, uh, catapulted Tampa into the Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, he only beat them one time. I don't think he ever beat them in the regular season. Um, in the Dome, it's loud. It's raucous. Uh, they hate the NFC South, and they show it. Like I said, with Mike Evans always struggling against uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Adding in that pass rush versus Baker Mayfield. Baker's playing with his confidence. It's time to let, it's time for Baker to let you down. I just think New Orleans wins it by about 10, 27-17. Uh, Patriots plus six and a half at the Cowboys. Um, I I think the Patriots might win this game outright. Dallas is going to struggle without Trayvon Diggs for a while because they kind of have to figure it out. Um, and the benefit of Dallas was they can kind of, along with that elite defensive line, led by Michael Parsons and that pass rush, they kind of was sending in extra blitzers because they knew they had Trayvon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore. I have two of the best six or seven cover corners in the league. Um, and so I could send some hell uh, at you in terms of blitzing. So now only is Michael Parsons coming. I'm sending in a blitz. And your receivers are blanketed from the snap. Your outside receivers are, so you have to figure out how to operate through the middle of the field quickly. Um, and that was a, a rough recipe for a lot of people trying to go against that Dallas defense. Uh, and so the Patriots, however, have their office lines getting healthy. They have receivers that can operate anywhere on the field. And what people realized last week, I noticed there have been a lot of the commentary in the discourse, is that running at Micah Parsons works. Uh, he struggles against to just stop a run that's coming straight at him. Uh, and so uh, running directly at Micah Parsons seems to be negatively affecting him. It's at least slowing down his pass rush. Uh, games where teams run right at him more often than they want to rate from him, his pass rush weight, his pass rush rate is significantly reduced. Uh, and so, I, I think that that's what New England's going to do. Bill O'Brien's going to attack right at Michael Parsons. This game's going to be a game. It's going to be slower. Zeke's going to get twenty. Zeke might get twenty carries on Sunday. It's going to be emotional, playing over his skis emotionally. Um, I think the Patriots are going to run the ball at Michael Parsons. They're going to do their best to keep it away from that pass rush. You can have the Cowboys inside. So Michael Parsons to the middle is very available. To the outside, to the other side, gets a little fishy. 
but you can take that team if you come through the middle. Uh, and so I think that New England may end up flat out winning this game, but I definitely don't think they move it more than a touchdown. So I've got New England plus six and a half. Jets plus eight and a half at the Chiefs versus the Chiefs. All right. So this one, I'm confident in this one. Probably my least favorite number this week, but I am confident in this one because of the Jets defense. Uh, Kansas City's offense looks like something out of a horror movie at times. Uh, they just don't look right. And so with the Jets coming in with that elite level defense, they're gonna keep the uh, they're gonna keep New York in every single game. I think that New York is going to they're gonna be forced to run the ball this week with a lot of Brees Hall, a lot of Dalvin Cook, um, try and run the ball right at Kansas City, uh, because Zach Wilson's just not gonna do it. And if he throws too many interceptions, game got a hand quickly. Uh, but I just think that the Jets are gonna keep this uh, keep this game close defensively. I think it'll be a low scoring contest. Uh, I can see the Jets eking out two touchdowns, however, against that defense. Um, so I have the Kansas City Chiefs winning 20 to 13. Broncos minus three and a half at the Bears. The Chicago Bears are the worst team in the NFL, and at this point, I believe they're literally tanking. The Denver Broncos have every reason to not tank. This is one of those games where if Sean Payton is going to ever consistently win in Denver, if Russell Wilson's ever going to, have, to me, get his Hall of Fame chances back, they're going to have to blow the Bears out. They're going to have to dominate the Bears from the time the ball is kicked. You don't lose 70 to 20 in the NFL and then lose the next week and keep jobs. So I think that they're going to have to dominate the Bears from the opening jump. I think they handled the Bears early. Uh, Kansas City just punched on the Bears quickly. I think the Broncos are going to get uh, Chicago out of there sooner rather than later, uh, and they win the game 27-10. Uh, to 10. And then Bengals minus 2.5 at the Titans. Uh, take the Bengals here. I've got the Bengals winning by – it's going to be closer just because of the inability of Joe Burrow in order to uh, in order to throw the ball down the field, he's still trying to adjust to doing get basically pushing off not his foot, um, and so I think the Titans are going to be able to get some pressure in there, slow down the run game. Uh, I just don't trust Ryan Tannehill doing anything productive. The Bengals are going to load up to stop Derrick Henry. Um, I just think that the Bengals are going to ultimately squeak out enough points. Uh, to me, the defense the Bengals played last week. Is a better defense than they're playing this week. And so I, even though Mike Vrabel is a hell of a coach, I just think that the Bengals squeak out enough points to cover the three. Uh, 2017 Bengals. So just to recap, got Saints minus three and a half over the Bucks in our lock of the week. Pats plus six and a half over the Cowboys. Jets plus eight and a half over the Chiefs. Broncos minus three and a half over the Bears. Bengals minus two and a half over the Titans. But up next, we're going to have our Jack's Hot Take, which is going to be about the WNBA's only hope. talk about the WNBA and their only hope that they have left in the WNBA to stop the Las Vegas Aces and that's the New York Liberty. I know Connecticut Sun fans, I know WNBA fans, you're trying to sell me on the Connecticut Sun. I'm with you, except I'm not. The only the Las Vegas Aces, I believe lost 6 games all season, 3 of them were to the Liberty. That means the rest of the WNBA combined beat them 3 times. If there is any chance for somebody to beat the Las Vegas Aces three out of five times, it is the New York Liberty. That is the only hope. Someone cue up Princess Leia, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. The New York Liberty, you're the W's only hope. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the Aces here. I'm pulling for them. The W, the W basketball, I've noticed, grows with dynasties. Every great growth period in the NBA came with a dynasty. When the WNBA was at its, pop, at its most popular, the two most popular periods in WBA history, its inception, the dynasty comments won four in a row, and then during the era of the Lynx, where they won like four out of six or four out of seven or something like that. Um, the, that is when the WNBA was the most popular, and then currently, uh, after the Wobble, uh, it grew tremendously. And then also, um, 
In the NBA, tremendous areas of growth. The 60s with Bill Russell. Then it fell off in the 70s. There was no dominant champion. Um, and then the 80s, it gets saved because of Magic and Bird. In the 80s, Magic has five titles. Bird has three. Isaiah has, or in the 80s, yeah, it's between 79 and 90, when the NBA gets saved because they come in in 79, Magic has five. Bird has three. Zeke has two. Dr. J has one. Directly after them, Michael Jordan wins six in eight years. When it's not Michael Jordan, it's Hakeem Olajuwon. Then it goes right into Kobe and Shaq for three years. And then guess what? The NBA dovetails because there's no dynasty. And then LeBron arrives to the forefront. He's winning MVP. And he's in the finals every year and the NBA skyrockets. And then the Warriors and it skyrockets again. The NBA, well, basketball in general, is built on dynasties. The football doesn't want dynasties. Football wants parity. Um, basketball wants dynasties. So I'm rooting, as a WNBA fan, for the Aces to win this year and next year. Just win three in a row. Just win three in a row and just be a dominant team, dominant organization, because then the WNBA can literally put the league on their backs and they carry them into the next era of the WNBA. But the only hope for any other fan base in the WNBA for that not to happen is that the Liberty win against the Connecticut Sun, um, plain and simple. So I think that the WNBA title will be the Las Vegas Aces, and I think they'll play the Connecticut Sun, and they'll beat them in four games. Alyssa Thomas and Dewana Bond are in enough. Um, and so I just think that the Aces will win, and they will ultimately show up and show out um, against the uh, Connecticut Sun in the WNBA Finals. But that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, appreciate you guys for sticking around um, with me today. This is your owner and host, Justin Jackson, signing out.